Nehemiah chapter 12. Let's start reading in verse number 27. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out all the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. After them went Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah, Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechar, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hananiah with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, went before them. By the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond, beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Minjamin, Micaiah, Eloanide, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. Also, Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehonan, Malchiah, Elam, and Ezer. Are you guys impressed? You should be impressed. The singers sang loudly with Jezrahiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms and the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Father God, we're so thankful for this glorious day. We're thankful, Father, and there's so much we want to praise you for today, so much we want to celebrate and worship you for this day. Uh, it's, it's just a good day. Uh, we're thankful for our Sunday school and the, the, the restart of that. We're thankful for a wonderful day last week as we, as we enjoyed Old Fashioned Sunday. We're just thankful, Lord, for all that you're doing in this place and have done. And so we pray today, just as these folks did here, that we would celebrate a little bit. Lord, we just feel like praising you. We've done it in song. We want to do it now as we look at your word. And we also, Lord, we want to look to the future. So help us today as we celebrate the past and as we also plan for the future. 
And Lord, we just uh, we just pray you'd, you'd you'd intercede with all of that. Fill me with your spirit today, Lord. I I know the devil is fighting me today in every which way it's possible. He is present in the room, and I pray you'd kick him out. And I pray, Lord God, you'd just help us today. To all of us, be filled with your spirit. Me that I might preach. The rest that we might hear and receive. And that, Lord, this day we would be encouraged and strengthened and helped in our walk with you. Lord, as always, if there's anybody here who does not know you as Savior, I pray they'd hear the gospel today. Somewhere in the music, in the preaching, in the fellowship, in the side conversation, somewhere, Lord, may they hear the gospel. Respond to it and be saved this day. Let nobody leave this room without knowing Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some time ago, we preached from Nehemiah. You may remember that we preached a whole series on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12 is one of those passages that we have been to several times in the history of our church. Uh, when we preached through the book, we, we looked at it, of course. But also, uh, when we completed phase one uh, of our building program, I believe we looked at Nehemiah chapter 12. And I think we also did when we completed phase two. I think we looked at Nehemiah. Chapter 12, because it is a passage about dedication. It's a passage about celebration. It's a passage about worshiping God for what he has done. Here in chapter 12, we encounter what some would call the culmination of Nehemiah's efforts. You you may remember, if you were here when we preached through the whole book, you may remember that uh, Nehemiah had been burdened over the deplorable state of of his his hometown, uh, Jerusalem. And so he had gone there to oversee the rebuilding of the walls. He had encountered all kinds of obstacles in completing that task, and yet, in spite of all that, uh, the walls were built, and they were built in 52 days, according to chapter 6 and verse number 15. He had battled opposition, opposing forces from the enemies of God uh, from without, and, and, and opposing forces even from the people of God within. And yet he had emerged victorious in all of those battles. And the wall was built. In addition to all of the labor of building the walls and the stress of battling all this opposition that was arrayed against him, Nehemiah has also worked very hard at, at, at building the people of God into what they ought to be as children of God. And so although I think Nehemiah would be the first to admit at this point in the book anyway that his work was far from done, and if we were to read the rest of the book, we would find out that is the case. There was still much that had to be done and problems yet to be encountered. Yet I think here we see he was at a place where he wanted to celebrate. And I don't know about you, but I feel like celebrating this morning. I feel like celebrating what God has done. I feel like saying praise the Lord for some good things that he has done. And I also feel like saying praise the Lord for some of the plans and hopes that he has laid on our heart for the future. The chapter can be roughly outlined as follows. The first 26 verses, which I did not read because it was nothing but names. You may think the rest was nothing but names. Look at the first 26 verses. The first 26 verses is a list of those Israelites who were qualified and able to serve as priests and Levites. It was very important to have this qualified group of people who could participate in this worship service. So the first 26 verses provided that. And then verses 27 through 43 actually describe the dedication service that, uh, that took place. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. But then also the last few verses, verses 44 through 47, provide some additional details about the people and processes that he put in place to uh, ensure that the worship of God would go on. So we see the celebration of the past and the planning for the future. 
So I, I, this is kind of a brain dump this morning. This is probably not my normal type of a sermon, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll make some sense to you. I just want to draw some thoughts. As I think about this celebration service, this dedication service, as they celebrate what God had done with the wall. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, is, is the obvious thought that some things are worth celebrating. Some things are worth celebrating. Verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness. Both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. So much had been accomplished. The wall had been built. Enemies had been overcome. People had dedicated themselves to God and to his work. They had grown in their walk with God. The temple worship of God had been restored. The word of God had been restored to its place of prominence in their lives. And all of these things were worthy of celebration. And so celebrate they did. Look at what they did. There was two choirs, two separate large choirs, starting probably in the same place atop these brand new shiny spanking new walls. These two choirs started marching and singing and, and praising God. One choir traveling clockwise around the wall, the other choir traveling counterclockwise around the wall of Jerusalem. One of the benefits that I have been blessed to have is, is to have been able to go to Jerusalem uh, a few times and visit. And shameless plug, thinking about it again. So if anybody would have any interest in that, let me know. You might encourage me to get moving on that, because I'm, I'm kind of itching to go again. But uh, one of the great benefits is that when you're there, you see things that make Scripture come alive when you read it. The last time we were there, we walked on the walls of Jerusalem. We started in one place, and we walked as far as we could go around. There's one little section where you can't walk, but almost the entire city can be traversed around the walls. And it was such a wonderful experience because you could see everything down in the city from this high vantage point. You could see everything outside the city from this high vantage point. It was a truly wonderful experience. And as I think about that, I can't help but imagine what it must have looked like to those who were looking up and seeing these massive choirs going around the walls of Jerusalem, instruments blaring and songs being sung culminating in this praise and worship service at the temple. They had something to celebrate. And so celebrate and worship they did. And I believe, church, that when we uh, see God work in our lives, we ought to celebrate that as well. Whenever we, whenever we see God work in the lives of others, we ought to celebrate that as well. When we see God bless his church, we ought to celebrate and worship what he's doing. Some things are worth celebrating. I enjoyed Old Fashioned Sunday last week. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. Many people came together. They gave of their time. They gave of their talents. Some gave of their money to make the day successful for the Lord. We had visitors here last Sunday that we may never have any other opportunity to touch other than what took place that Sunday. Our town saw the way God is working here in a tangible and a real and exciting way. So I think we need to say praise God for things like that. Some things are worth celebrating. Today, in some ways, marks the start of our church year. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Don't you have a calendar? This is not January. The church year really starts in September. It really does. September through December is the busiest, most active time on the church calendar. Only Easter uh, compares with it. Only Easter gives it any kind of a run for the money. And uh, so uh, this is the time. 
And we have prayed over and labored over the restart of our Sunday school and kind of the restart of everything here for this time of the year. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We need to celebrate it. It's not without its hiccups, as we've seen this morning a little bit, but uh, we celebrate. We're preparing for a baptismal service next week. Hallelujah. There's nothing we ought to celebrate more than that. And those of you who have been here for one of our baptismal services know that it's, it's kind of a raucous, ridiculous party around here. But you know what? I think it's what it ought to be. Because if someone is following the Lord in believer's baptism and taking that first step of obedience, we ought to say, praise God. There are so many things, so many things that we ought to celebrate. God enabled us last week to collect, and I have in my notes here over $5,000. The bulletin says over 4000 How much money did we collect? Where's Marianne? I thought that's what you said. So we'll stick with my number. I like my number better. It's over $5,000 that God enabled us to collect and send for hurricane relief. Praise God. We, uh, we're going to have a little meeting after the service here today because some are going to go physically if we can arrange that. And we think, we think that we've got that arranged uh, the first week of October to actually physically help with that. An opportunity to put feet to our prayers. And, and uh, all these things are worth celebrating. All these things are worth saying, praise God. And the people of Jerusalem were at just such a point. So let's see how they celebrated and see if it helps us to figure out how we celebrate. Notice again verse number 27. And notice that little phrase there. This says they celebrated the dedication with gladness. That's the first thing I see. They celebrated and worshipped with gladness. Now, there's all kinds of things that were included here in their worship and praise. We read in verses 24, 27, 31, 38, and 46 that it was thankful. We read also in verses 27 and 43 and 44 that it was joyful. We read in verses 42 and 43 that it was loud. And that's a good one. It was loud. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say it louder. Amen. amen. It was loud. Additionally, we read in verses 27, 35, and 36 that it was accompanied by various musical instruments. Not just organs, not just pianos. There might have been drums there, I don't know. There might have been guitars there, I don't know. There was was various musical instruments. But notice especially the word that is used to describe the service. Verse 27 says that they celebrated the dedication with gladness. This was not a worship service that was dull. It was not dry. It was not difficult to get through. This was not a worship service where people were looking at their phones and struggling to keep their eyes open. It was joyful and it was exuberant and they were glad. I'm always fascinated by the varying attitudes that I see uh, on display during a worship service. See, I have this wonderful opportunity that you don't have. I get to look at all of you. You only get to look at me. I'm not sure how to take that. But think about that for a minute. I, I face the crowd, and invariably I see that there's a great number of people that are happy, that are glad, as they, they're joyful in the Lord. Our church is not an overly demonstrative church in style. I'm sure there are other churches where there are more overt displays of joy that would eclipse ours, but it's here. It's here. I see it. I see it in smiling faces and in exuberant singing. And what did we see it this morning? What a great song service this morning. I I see it in happy conversations between brothers and sisters. A good number are always glad to be in worship on the Lord's Day. But then there are the others. There are the others. Others who don't appear so glad. Always some who would seem to isolate themselves and not fellowship with others. There are always some 
who stand tight-lipped, refusing to sing the praises to God. There are always some who not only struggle to smile, but actually seem to mope their way through. Now, I'm not talking about the ones who are going through something. I know that we have problems and trials and difficulties in life. I'm not talking about people who are in pain and suffering uh, a trial at this time. I'm talking about those who are perpetually disengaged and those who are non-participative in worship. Not glad. Not glad. Brothers and sisters, when we think about all God has done for us, saving us, forgiving us, cleansing us, healing us, helping us, building us, justifying us, sanctifying us, glorifying us. How can we not be glad? How can we not worship in gladness? Sometimes when we struggle to do that, we need to confess it and repent of it and ask, as David asked, to create, ask God to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me and restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Because then we'd be able to sing, as David sang later, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. That's the first thing I see. They celebrated with gladness. I see something else in verse number 30. I see that they celebrated and worshipped in purity. Verse 30, Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. That's just one little tiny verse in the midst of all this story, and it would be very easy to overlook that one, but I think it's vital. When we come into the house of God to worship and celebrate our God, we need to do so with clean hands and clean minds and clean hearts. When God told Jacob to go and worship him at Bethel, Genesis 35, verse number 2, Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. When Hezekiah, the king, decided to repair the temple and revive the worship of Jehovah, he said to the Levites, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Boy, I love that verse. I love that picture. Isn't that a great picture of how we ought to come into the house of God? Carrying out the rubbish first from within our own lives. After the children of Israel had seen God's glorious victory over Jericho. What a victory that was. Walls falling down flat before them. This great, amazing victory over the city of Jericho. Very, very, very shortly thereafter, they went up against this tiny little pipsqueak of a town called Ai. Nothing there. Absolutely nothing. And they got their behinds handed to them and chased off. And there was a reason for that. There was a reason for that, and the, man, uh, the reason was there was a man named Achan who had sinned and disobeyed God's instructions in Jericho, and now here they were powerless against little Ai because of Achan's unconfessed sin. There was sin in the camp, as you've heard it described many, many times before, and therefore they were powerless and remained so until that sin was dealt with. And so if we're to celebrate and worship with gladness, as these people did, then we must first purify ourselves, as these people did. Now, in their case, there was probably all kinds of things involved. It probably involved washings and sacrifices and and sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifices. In our case, it's much simpler. Christ is our sacrifice. Christ's blood has already atoned for our sin. All we need now do now is keep short accounts with God. All we need do now is confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder how many believers today, before they enter a worship service, spend a little bit of time 
in a quiet time of confession. How many pray earnestly desiring for purity? As David prayed. David prayed in Psalm 139 and verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. More would be glad in worship if they were first striving for purity in worship. More joy would flow from more confession. For when we confess, he forgives. When he forgives, we are clean. And when we are clean, we are glad. I see another thing here. And this is a long section. We won't read this again, but it's in verses 31 through 42. I see that they celebrated and worshipped with music. Music. Do we do any of that around here? Music. I, I read a, a quote from, uh, from another commentary that I was looking at, and I can't improve upon it, so I'm just going to read this to you and share the thoughts of uh, this, good, this good commentator. He said this, Singing has always been a striking feature of the worship of God's Old Testament and New Testament people. This is not true of other religions. Many use repetitive chants, in some clergy sing, but generally the religions of the world are grim things. It is only in biblical religion that the people of God are characteristically joyful and express their joy in great singing. Christians write hymns. They sing them in their services. Christians write choruses. And although the sentiments and music of some of them may be theologically and aesthetically dreadful, they are nevertheless generally joyful. Christian musicians compose great oratorios. Why is this? Obviously, it's because Christianity is itself joyous. It is a response to the great acts of God on our behalf, particularly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which secured our salvation. No wonder we can sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We sing hymns about the Lord's resurrection. Jesus Christ is risen today, our triumphant holy day, who died once upon the cross, suffered to redeem our loss. Hallelujah. We sing about his ascension and his exaltation. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. We sing about his return. Thou art coming, O my Savior. Thou art coming, O my King. In thy beauty all resplendent, in thy glory all transcendent. Well, may we rejoice and sing. Coming in the opening east, herald brightness slowly swells. Coming, O my glorious priest, have we not, hear we not, thy golden bells. Christians sing. And they sing on all occasions. We even sing at funerals. We sing. Read about this great song service. Think about some of the things that are described here. We already mentioned it was loud. It was loud. I like loud music. Loud. We go down the road in the car and we have a continuous battle. I want it up. Loud. That might be because I'm deaf. I don't know. It was joyful music. It could be heard. It was participated in by all. It was accompanied by musical instruments, those that David had previously used in worship. And it was organized. There was a a choir director. It was harmonious. The very presence of choirs implies harmony. What a wonderful thing it must have been. Music is such a struggle in so many churches. Music causes so much trouble for so many people. Some believers, and and I confess, this is usually those of us in the fall and winter of our lives, some believers in that age don't want to sing anything but the old hymns. And I say this, being one of that group, and uh, I say this in love and as your pastor, uh, that that is an error. We need to repent of that. 
some believers, and these are usually the ones in the spring and summer of their lives, some of them want to sing nothing but the modern new praise choruses. And I would say the same thing to them. That, too, would be an error and something of which we ought to repent. You see, we need a blend. We need them all. It's always been our philosophy of music here, and our sister is wonderful at providing both. I was so happy this morning that she threw in that new song at the end, because all we had done was hymns up to that. I thought, this is going to mess up my message. But she had that new one in there, too. We need them both. Those who limit themselves to one or the other only hurt themselves, and those who demand that we limit them not only hurt themselves, but hurt others as well. Remember that verse we used last week as our theme verse for Old Fashioned Sunday? Jesus said, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. You ever think about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? You ever think about the song service that's going to be there? Think about that music. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, perhaps the greatest songwriter. I, I, think I, I don't think I go too far when I say he was the greatest songwriter who has ever lived. He's going to be there. And we're going to be singing his songs, just like I think they were singing them here on the wall. Think about that. Charles Wesley will be there. We're going to be singing some of his songs, I think. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Well, sing it. Isaac Watts will be there. Isaac Watts, and with him will sing before the Savior, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a warm as I? But you know what? Us oldies, we have to admit, it won't just be the hymn writers that are there. Keith Green's going to be there. Keith Green. And we're going to sing, no doubt, with tears streaming down our face. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. For when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. We're going to sing it. Andre Crouch will be there. Good old Andre. And we're going to sing with him. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me. The voice of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee, to God. Be the glory. Great things he has. Bill Gaither will be there. The Newsboys will be there. And who's the guy we sang this morning? David Crowder will be there. And we're going to sing. The people of Jerusalem worshipped in song and with music on that day. And we do the same today. And one day, this glorious music, all this music, that's down through the ages of the church, is going to be making one glorious and wonderful sound. In my wildest moments of imagination, I cannot fathom what that moment They worshiped with music. Don't you praise God for the music that we have in this church? We are blessed. We are blessed. Now, the music topic is a large one, and we could spend days on this and go off the deep end, and people could argue and carry on and and all that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go too far afield in discussing it, but 
I do want to mention two other thoughts that I see here that are important. I want you to notice that these people were celebrating and worshiping with music. And that's what we need to do as well. They were not performing. Music in the church is never to be a performance. If leading singing is, is about showing off or, 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 or performing rather than pointing others to Jesus and leading others to worship in the church, and we don't have this problem, thankfully, then it is a problem. Nobody should remember the preacher when he preaches. I pray that all the time. Let him not remember me. Let him only remember Jesus. Then I get all thumbsucky when God answers that prayer. But nonetheless, it's <laughs> the way it ought to be. Nobody should remember the song leader or the singers either. They should only remember the subject of their song, which is Jesus. So these people weren't performing. They were worshiping. And the second thing I see about this, and then we're going to get off this topic, these people were organized and they were prepared and they were excellent. Everything here smacks of preparation and excellence and skill and practice. I don't read this passage and come away thinking they just tossed this thing together. I read this passage thinking that they had worked hard. And such should be the case in our music services, too. You need to pray for our musicians. They do work hard. And I praise God for them. And the same is true in every aspect of our service, of course. The preacher needs to work hard at preaching. Administrators ought to be squeaky clean and administering every part of it. But we're talking here about musicians. That's the subject. And so they need to take note as well. David, when preparing for the new temple, said something. It's one of my favorite verses. You only get it in the King James. You have to read it out of the King James to get this. But David said, The house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. And all I would say, may everything that is done here in our worship service in every part of our church be exceeding magnificent, as I think it was here. Well, let's get off that one. Let's talk about another thing. They celebrated and they worshipped at cost. At cost. Look at verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. It's interesting here that this verse emphasizes that this worship of God cost them something. There were sacrifices made, not just sacrifices, but great sacrifices, it says. There was a cost. It's also interesting that there's an offsetting emphasis in the verse, and that's joy. Did you notice that? Matter of fact, uh, uh, where's, where's my notes here? The Hebrew word for joy or rejoicing occurs five times in just that one verse. So we have the cost of worship, but we also have the joy of worship. We were blessed again. My mind goes back to Old Fashioned Sunday last week. We were blessed by so much that took place on that day. What a beautiful day it was, under the tent, beautiful weather, just wonderful, great music within these walls, joyous fellowship all around. But you know, it came at a cost. Those who participated didn't know that it came at a cost. Some labored to plan and prepare. Meetings took place long before most people even knew they were taking place. As a matter of fact, the planning and preparation for Old Fashioned Sunday this year started on the day after Old Fashioned Sunday last year. It was a whole year there. Some labored for that. Some uh, helped us stamp and label 2,500-plus invitations that went out to our neighbors and the community around us, praying over each invitation, knowing that only eternity is going to reveal the results. Some labored in the physical setup. 
preparing of chairs and all that kind of stuff. Some did so in the breaking down and storing of things afterwards. Some cooked. Some served. Some helped with the children in the games. Some lovingly prepared homemade items for the auction, which would benefit missions. Some baked pies. Some worked hard on the music service, praying over and then leading us in worship with their song. Some, some even came back from the grave to preach to us. All kinds of things took place. There was a cost. It costs to serve Jesus. There is no doubt. In some ways, serving Christ is hard. But all the dividends, all the joy that we get when we sacrifice for Christ. Paul encouraged the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice in Philippians 4.4. And these men, these women, and these children, they did just that. And it flowed out of their sacrifice and their giving and their labor. The cost led to the joy. Another thing. I want you to notice also in verse number 43 that they all celebrated and worshipped. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Not just the Levites, not just the leaders, not just Nehemiah and Ezra the priests, not just the men, but all participated in this service. The women and the children also took part. To use a term that's popular in our modern vernacular, this was an inclusive service that took place. Now think about this. Think about what's implied about this. might be a stretch. I don't know, but I, I think. I think this is what this means. I think this means that parents brought their kids to church. I think that's what that means. Am I, am I, am I too far off? There, I wonder how many parents said that morning that this great service is about to take place. I wonder how many of them said, I think I'll let my kids sleep in this morning rather than bring them with me to church. Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would be. Say amen. It would be ridiculous. And it's just as ridiculous today when we do it in our day. Churches today have Sunday schools and vacation Bible schools and junior churches and Awana programs only to encounter so often parents who simply refuse to take the responsibility God has put upon them to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now think about this. I want to speak to the parents for just a moment. Think about this. Scripture does not require parents to give their children easy and rich lives. It doesn't encourage that in any way, shape, or form. Scripture does not, does not require or even encourage you to educate them in the things of the world. A college education is not something that the Bible declares we ought to give to our children. As a matter of fact, it never mentions that. It doesn't even encourage that. It is not our responsibility as parents to give them everything we missed out on as kids. That's nowhere in Scripture. You know what is in Scripture? We're supposed to teach them about Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's our responsibility. What we are commanded to do as parents is to teach them about Jesus, and when we fail at that, we fail in every other way as parents. Just a few passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Psalm 78, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. 
For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And of course, New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. If we are not educating our children in the things of God, we are not educating them at all. We need to understand that. That's, that's Bible. Some are careful to ensure that their kids learn all about science and technology and engineering and math. That's the big deal these days. While neglecting the only thing that can make sense of any of that. And that is God and the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. They brought their kids. They brought their kids to this worship service. And parents need to bring theirs to bring them to Sunday school, bring them to worship services, let them hear and participate in the worship and praise. Bring them to prayer meeting. I can count on one hand, I believe, the number of times that I've seen parents bring kids to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Do our kids not need to learn how to pray? Well, I'll wipe the stuff off my mouth a little bit now and move on. It's not all that... Bad, because there's another good thing we see here, also in verse 43. That's when they did this, all of this worship, the world took notice. The world took notice. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. The world took notice. Warren Wiersbe, in some of his comments on this, explains that one purpose for the people marching around the walls while singing and praising God was to remind everybody, including themselves, that those walls were God's. No matter how much they had labored on them and worked on them, no matter how much they might have felt an ownership over them, they belonged to God. And he was the one who ought to get glory for them. He was the ultimate builder. And I think that's a good reminder to all of us. No matter what our ministry is in this place or in any other place, it's not about us. It's about God. We don't have any ownership of it. We need to make sure that we don't drift into that kind of thinking. It's it's God's. He alone is worthy of the praise. But this didn't just remind themselves of that, though. This also witnessed to all those who looked on, even those who were afar off, saw and couldn't help but notice God had done something great in Jerusalem. There were unbelievers and scoffers that had been nothing but trouble to them from the beginning. Some of the enemies of God had earlier taunted them as they struggled to build those walls. One of them was named Tobiah. Tobiah the Ammonite said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. He said, whatever they're building is going to be useless. Not a little tiny animal could break it down. And now he watched as armies of choirs marched around on top of it. We celebrate and praise and worship our Lord for what he has done. The world has no answer. One last thought. This is in verses 44 through 47. I want you to notice that they organized to continue. They organized to continue. They celebrated, yes. They worshiped, yes. They rejoiced, yes. And then they got on with things. In these verses, we read how Nehemiah made provision and 
gave instruction regarding the ongoing future worship. We won't spend any time, but let me just mention these things. Responsibilities for the Levites, defined more than 500 years earlier when David was king, were defined, verse number 46, and reinstituted. Some were responsible for administration, verse 44. Some for worship and music, verse 45. Some as gatekeepers, verse 45. These were all people for whom, for whose upkeep and livelihood provision was to be made. They were supported in their service of worship by the offerings of the people, verse 47. And they were also provided with the things they needed to accomplish their tasks, verse 47. And we can spend a lot of time on that, but we won't. We're out of time. The point is there was work yet to be done. Things didn't stop with the building of the wall. And for us today, I'm reminded there is work yet to be done. The battle is not over. The service of the king is not yet complete. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. But it's not yet. It's not today. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching, my brothers. Almost here, sisters. Have you thought about it? Have you, have you watched the news? <laughs> Are you astonished at what you're seeing on, on the television screen or, or on the printed page? Every word is a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a klaxon call shouting that he is coming. He is coming soon. The time is at hand. And we must not rest. We must not stop with worshiping and celebrating the past. We must look ever to the future and run faster and faster and harder and harder until we get there. Paul said, and we've quoted from this many times in recent days, the Lord must want us to for some reason. Paul said to the Philippians, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. The title for the sermon this morning kind of sums up this entire passage. Celebrating the past. Planning for the future. And so I want to close this morning. I'm done with the sermon now, but I want to close by just sharing with you a couple future initiatives that we're seeking your prayers about as we plan for the future in this place. Today, we saw the beginning of one of them, and that was the beginning of our Sunday school hour, or at least it's re-beginning. Pray for that effort. Participate in that effort. Again, I say this with as much love as I can say, there's not a one of you in this room that does not need to keep learning about the things of God. That includes me. That includes you. There's none of us here who know it all. We need the instruction of the Word of God. I, I love, I love the, the, the thing that Paul said to Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy. In one of our trips to Israel, we went to Rome just for a day, just a, a layover with the plane, and we got one day wandering around Rome, and we visited the Mamertine prison. The Mamertine prison is where the Apostle Paul spent his last days. The Mamertine prison is where he wrote the book of 2 Timothy. And when you stand in that dungeon, 
that's carved out of rock. It's a hole in the ground. The only way in was through a hole in the ceiling, about as high as that ceiling right there, where they would have lowered him down with a rope and left him in there to rot. And on the side of that wall, there's a little tiny rock ledge. That's all that was in there. And you can imagine him sitting there next to that with the light from that hole over his head, writing Second Timothy. And one of the things he said in there, was, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, I have fought a good fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give me. He knew he was done. He knew his life was over. And then later on he said, oh, by the way, Timothy, when you come, bring the books and the parchments. Paul, the greatest theologian that has ever lived. Paul, who knew more about the Bible and the will of God and the word of God than all of us in this room put together, multiplied by a million. Paul! The greatest Christian, perhaps, who's ever lived. Learning and studying up to the very moment of his death. We all need it. So I'll encourage you to think about that and participate in that. Last Lord's Day, here's another thing that's coming up. We put up just a couple of pictures of the proposed Phase 3 building project. They're still out there, and I would encourage you to take a look at those before you leave. Phase 1 of our building project here was the remodeling of this room. And uh, modernizing some things, removing the pews and replacing them with chairs and air conditioning and things like that. Phase two was the major addition that you see out there, the addition of the foyer and the new restrooms and the new office and the new conference room and the new handicapped access. All God has blessed us with. But phase three, should the Lord allow it, uh, is meant to be... uh, Something that will provide the needed kitchen that our ladies have been squawking about for 10 years. Know that they have needed for 10 years. Our ladies have labored so hard in that tiny little kitchen down there. Bless their hearts. But this is meant to provide for that. And also, a large, multi-purpose space where the entire church can gather in fellowship. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we can't all get together in the basement anymore. We can't do some of the things we used to be able to do down there. There's too many of us. Glory to God. But that's what this building is meant to address. And in addition to that, some expansion of the sanctuary as well to provide some additional seating. Think about that, folks. Our teens would benefit. Our men's ministries would benefit. Our ladies' ministries would benefit. Our children would benefit. Our community would benefit. It would give us more opportunity to reach out into them. So would you pray with us about that? As we look to the future, we're looking for God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. God's will. The elders believe it to be God's will. The team that's been working with the architect and has worked to come up with the preliminary design that you see out there believe it to be God's will. And so now we look to you, our church family, and we ask you, do you believe it's God's will? We didn't vote on the last two, and we're not going to vote on this one. There's only one vote we're going to take. That is whether or not the money comes in. God enabled us to build those other two, or complete those other two phases debt-free. We don't believe it's God's will that we go into debt as a church. And so if the money comes in, we build. If the money doesn't come in, we figure God wants us to do something else. So would you pray with us? And if it is, if it is your belief that it's God's will, would you give? And if it's God's provides, we'll build. And then one last thing. Next Sunday we're going to baptize And as I already mentioned, there's nothing we do here that's more important than this. Nothing we do more important than bringing people to Christ and then discipling them and watching them as they are obedient to that first step of baptism. 
So there are some of you here today that have not yet been obedient to that. I want to encourage you to think about that. Remedy that. Fix that. You're never going to grow in your walk with Christ if you're constantly saying no to the very first thing he commands you to do. And so if you haven't seen me yet and you haven't said you want to be baptized yet, I would encourage you. Uh, you know what? Even if you walk up here on Sunday and say, I want to get in the water, we'll probably go along with that. It wouldn't be the first time that we've done that. So all of us need to support and encourage our brothers and sisters who are taking that first step. So those are just a few things. Celebrating the past. Planning for the future. Let us, church, neglect neither.